Show, your home for car talk covering the latest news to the greatest views on the biggest names in performance, sports, and just plain cool driving machines. Let's rev up the conversation. Time for Driven Radio Show. Hello to you, the automotive faithful. I am Reverend Hatfield, and I welcome you to Driven Radio Show, where we bring you the gospel of internal combustion. Here with me in the Driven Radio pulpit is our engineer and co-host, Minister Mark Groves. Testify. We are coming to you from the Temple of All Things Automotive Driven Radio Show Studios and well it, it was it, the weather was nice up until a couple sweet days Jesus ago. cold Overland Park <laughs> yeah. I saw the weather today and it was going to be 58 degrees I didn't know that it was going to be at 6 in the morning it was going to drop like a stone <laughs> like a for rock. the rest of the day yeah. I, the suck cameth <laughs> yeah no kidding man I opened the front door to take the poor little dog out to use the drum I was like oh my god that's cold what happened <laughs> it, and it's it's supposed to be down in the 20s overnight yeah and then a high in the 30s tomorrow that's Stupid winter, stupid in no, December, real, almost stupid winter. Yeah, kicking the teeth for winter in the Midwest. <laughs> <laughs> like, we, like we don't get the same crap every year. But, and every year we gripe about it. Yes. Oh, well. I just get angry. Our special guest this week is Keith Martin, publisher of Sports Car Market Magazine. Keith has been involved in the collector car hobby for more than 30 years as a writer, publisher, television commentator, and enthusiast. Keith is the founder and publisher of Sports Car Market Magazine. He has written for the New York Times, Automobile, Auto Week, Road and Track, and other publications. And he's been an MC for numerous concours, and he even had his own TV show, What's My Car Worth? Keith is on the board of directors for the LeMay Museum and the Oregon Ballet Theater. Keith, welcome back to Driven Radio. It's great to be back here, Brett. I looked... Uh, Because I I thought we'd had you on not very long ago, and by not very long ago, I mean it's been over four years. (laughs) How did it go that long without us having you back? I don't know, but it's sure been a fun four years, hasn't it? (laughs) Uh, You've had an interesting four years, sir. Uh, We were discussing this a little bit before the show, doggone it. I saw the pics of your Alpha Spider fender bender a few weekends ago. I'm glad you came out unscathed and whole, but tell us a little bit about what happened to your car. Well, I've got this 91 Alpha Spider, you know, the S4 model, and it's an automatic because I had a stroke three years ago and I can't really drive a stick shift anymore. So I found this Alpha. It's got 21,000 miles on it. It was pristine. It was red with uh, silver Panda Sports. Beautiful car. And I thought, well, I'll go up from Portland to the Seattle Club, and they're going to have a run, and I want to meet a couple of people. We'll go up Friday night, drive with them on Saturday, come back Sunday. We're in the parking lot of a Starbucks, and we're waiting to get out of the Starbucks. There's a line of cars. The line opens up. We pull between a couple of cars, and I'm sitting there with my girlfriend, and we look back at this BMW X1, and suddenly its backup lights come on. (gasps) No. No. It starts coming toward us, Brett. I didn't know I could say so many bad words. <laughs> Mostly started with F. <laughs> and a lot of them. The guy like backs into the side of my car. Oh. And then he gets out and he gets in his car and he tries to drive away. So my girlfriend chased him down on foot. And she said, you know, I'm going to get your license. And she said, why are you harassing me? And why did you park your car so close to the back of mine? And I said, sir, sir, I said, it's a rare alpha that can drive sideways into the back of another car. (laughs) (laughs) I don't believe I've seen one of those critters. (laughs) 
<laughs> but but I, I took it to Tom Black's our local guru for cars like this, and he'll make it look like it's never been hit. In my heart, it's gone from a never hit, untouched car to a car that's been, you know, one side of it's been painted. You know, I, I have to get over that because nobody was hurt. We could drive the car home and it's just a car. Whenever you take a car out in public, you're accepting the risk that something can happen to it. Yeah, and I found out about that earlier today <laughs> when uh, somebody near and dear to me accidentally scraped the side of my 65 Stingray. So, damn it, it happens, but they can be fixed. In the end, they are cars, and in both in both situations, both circumstances, nobody was hurt, thank God. I can say this. Because even that red Corvette I have, the 57,000-mile all-numbers-and-date-codes car, has been backed into at one time or another. And over time, the memory of it will fade, and it is a car. It can be fixed. But damn it, damn it, damn it, damn it. I, I, I can completely appreciate where you're coming from. You just have to be chill. Well, yeah. And I couldn't stand and cuss at my mom, so that doesn't work. <laughs> <laughs> not since you were 18. <laughs> You're not going to fire your mom, right? <laughs> no, I, I love her dearly. And she's a little tiny woman who put up with my brother and sister and I. And that makes her a sincerely tough individual. God love her. Uh, one of the things people would be surprised to know about you is you studied ballet at Juilliard. Can you... Talk a little bit about how you became interested in ballet and how you were accepted there. Yeah, I went to Reed College to study history. Um, and I drove my 63 Alpha Spider from San Francisco to Portland to go to Reed. And I took dance class there. And the woman who was teaching dance had also taught Steve Jobs dance when he was at Reed. <laughs> wow. Did, okay, please, please tell me you you danced with Steve Jobs. Please tell I, me. We, I missed oh. that. <laughs> no pot of do for you. Tell, I could tell you that, and how would you disprove me? Oh, <laughs> oh I would applaud you, <laughs> even I, if it was I, a flat-out lie. Neither of us could, so you may as well go with it. No, I was with Steve Jobs and Dan Gurney. Oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> it, was, it was an amazing class. <laughs> Dan's kind of tall. Did he lead? <laughs> oh, that's too funny. <laughs> So I, I just started dancing there, and, and Brad, I, I just really liked it. I did not dance before. I had more drive than I had talent. You know, I mean, I, I was just determined. I was just determined. And within a couple of years, I dropped out of Reed, and I moved to New York, and I got accepted to Juilliard. And uh, modern dance was really my forte, not ballet. And I danced with Charles Weidman's company, and he was the father of American modern dance, and Martha Graham was kind of the mother. And I worked with both of them. Oh, wow. So I had, a, I just, I had, I was just chasing the dream, you know. Uh, I had, I had a head gasket set for an alpha with me when I moved to New York. <laughs> just in case. No. I would say if you were accepted at Juilliard, you may have had a, a modicum of talent. Usually drive doesn't get you through those doors. It, I'm, I was just fortunate. Let me just say that way. Cause I was around the best teachers in the world and, uh, I enjoyed it. So that was a, that, that period of my life. And then I came back and I founded the ballet company here. I did that for 10 or 15 years. And I then it was just kind of done. You know, I just, being in the nonprofit world is just a grind because yeah. there's never enough money. You're always fundraising. I mean, it, it's just, it's hard. And I just was, I was just kind of done. And so I, I, I left the ballet company, it merged with another company and it's still there today. And I'm still on the board today. But I was at an alpha convention and Ron Tonkin, who had the Ferrari dealer, 
uh, came up to me and he said, I hear you left the ballet. I said, I did. He said, well, you know, I donated so much money to your damn ballet company that you better come work for me at the, at the Ron Tonkin <laughs> store. Sell us all this stuff and get that money back. Well, you know, um, I think actually you left it because uh, they wouldn't do your ballet swap lake. Or the bolt cracker suite. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. My favorites. <laughs> <laughs> so I ended up going to work for Ron, and I was became the GM of this Ferrari and Maserati and Alpha and Lotus store. And I was there for a few years, and then I started uh, started my little newsletter, the Alpha newsletter. And then at 35 years later, here I am. A few years ago, you suffered an, an unexpected stroke, as though any of them are expected. Uh, can you talk a little bit about that and how has your recovery progressed? And you were before I'd met you before that a few times and you seem to be in pretty exceptional condition. Do you think any of that has played a part in your recovery? I do. I, the stroke was unexpected. I ran three miles the morning before my stroke. I was pretty healthy. And the doctors, they said, well, the cause of your stroke is what we call bad luck. I almost died. I was paralyzed on the left side of my body for a few months. My, my dance training helped me come back and I can walk now with a cane and get around pretty well. You know, I wish I'd never had the stroke. I wish I could still get up and run, but at the same time, I'm alive. I'm able to see my kids. I just, I think when people have had a near death experience, they become so appreciative of life because suddenly, you know, it could go away. Yeah, certainly. Uh, speaking of kids, your young son is out driving around right now. Oh my lord! Is that as is it a learning learner's permit or has he got his driver's license? Got his permit, and I uh, I'm paying an instructor to take him out on the city streets. He's driven in parking lots with me, and I had little bug eye sprite that two or three years ago he drove around in a parking lot. But I really wanted a professional to have him out on on the main streets and somebody who's not emotionally involved. Because it's, <laughs> it's, it's, it's like you want it to be a calm experience. I have to say, good on you, Dad. You didn't put him in a Bradley GT. <laughs> when I bought that Bradley GT, I bought it because it had his name on it. And when it arrived, he said, Dad, that's the ugliest car I have ever seen in my entire life. He wasn't wrong. <laughs> If you'll recall, uh, I helped Luke Chinnell nurse that thing across a good chunk of the country. And, yeah, it was it's uglier than a tree full of owls. <laughs> so you've got to be one of the few people on the planet that can say they drove a Bradley GT anywhere. Oh, I didn't have to drive <laughs> it. I, I, I was too big to get in the darn thing. And <laughs> the, other, uh, the other third of the trio was uh, Ken Yon. And Kenyon, thankfully, he wears a size 14 shoe, so his feet wouldn't fit in the foot box. Luke was the only one of us who was slender enough and had feet small enough to get in that thing. And Ken and I drove about it making jokes about it from Ohio to Kansas. (laughs) (laughs) Sports Car Market Magazine has been the Bible for the collector car world for 35 years. Uh, Congratulations on the 35th anniversary. That's certain. I'm very proud to have been a part of that endeavor. Uh, what do you think has kept the magazine so relevant when so many others have failed? And you touched on this just a moment ago. You said it started with the Alpha newsletter. Can you explain the genesis of the magazine? 
Well, you've got two questions there. First, I think that we have survived all these years, Brett, first of all, because of extraordinary writers like you with enthusiasm, and you bring a, a real authenticity to the magazine. This is the part of the magazine, the part of the interview where I'm going to break my arm, pat myself on the back. <laughs> You've been doing yoga, dude. Look at that. <laughs> We've always tried to call it like we see it. You know? And, and a, a lot of magazines kind of pussyfoot around and, and they don't give you a straight talk. And we try to have people write for us who, you know, if, if a car is a great car, you say it's a great car. And if a car has got needs, you can say it's got needs. I mean, you, and I think it makes it fun to read then because you feel like you're talking to somebody who's in your own secret club. Absolutely. And for, as far as the magazine, I, when, I, when I first started looking around, there was the Ferrari market letter. There was a Maserati market letter. There was a Pantera market letter. There was a Mustang market letter. Uh, and there, this was pre-internet days, so these market letters were the only way you could really find out what was for sale. And so I thought, well, there's no alpha market letter, and if I don't start one, somebody else will, and it'll be really bad, and I'll just like have to kill myself. <laughs> <laughs> so I put an ad in Hemmings that said, subscribe to the alpha market letter, $33 a year, you know, hundreds of alphas for sale. And we got like 50 people signed up. And I looked at these 50 checks and I thought, damn, damn, I have to do this now. <laughs> yeah, oops. <laughs> oh, crap, it bit. <laughs> exactly, you know. So it, it just kind of grew. And then we added German cars and English cars. And again, it's just kind of been an organic growth. We've never tried to be huge like the DuPont Registry or the Rob Report. We've just, you know, we, we just, we try to keep to enthusiasts and write like we talk, Brett. Like just like if you and I were sitting at a table talking, we would. That's the way we want people to write. That's what made me love sports car market and Corvette market, and then American Car Collector, some of the predecessors. I've always enjoyed all of them. Honestly, the Corvette market hooked me. Diehard Corvette fiend. I'm going to buy in, but that doesn't mean I like those to the exclusion of everything else. I love everything. And it's rare to find one magazine that will cover it all like ours does. And I say ours because I'm very much, I'm very proud to be part of that team. Uh, 20 years ago, there were just a handful of major collector car auctions. Today, they run 24-7 with Bring a Trailer as the online juggernaut. To what do you credit this genesis? And has it reached a saturation, a saturation point? Well, the, center, the, the, the genesis is the internet, because if you think about it, when we first started, if you didn't read about a car that was sold in a sports car market, you weren't going to read about it anywhere. True. There was no blog, you know, there were no news feeds, there were no newsletters, and we would go to the auctions in Monterey, we'd go to Cruz Auburn, maybe back east to something, maybe in Greenwich, I mean, but, but the, the number of auctions was, was really limited. When the internet came along, suddenly you could find cars all over the country and you become more aware. Like, like Brett, if, if a PCAR or MB Market website, they sold some AMG car for three or $400,000 a couple of months ago, and we all talked about it. Yeah. If this were pre-internet days, none of us would have known. So, so the internet has created an awareness and a vibrancy of what's going on. These cars were always being sold but we just didn't know about it. Do you think that there are as many auctions as there need to be? Has, is the market saturated now? Every time we think the market is saturated, it grows. You, know, you talk about your dad buying four cars on Bring a Trailer. 
How many cars had your dad bought at auction in his life before Bring a Trailer? Not four. I think it's it may have been three. But he's well, an I, auction junkie. I don't know how much that applies to the rest of the world. I, I don't know what the saturation point is because Bring a Trailer has just about doubled in the past year. Oh, yeah. You know, and at the same time, there are uh, the, the MB market, the PCAR market. I mean, there are all these other places, the specialty niches that come on. Um, I, I'd, I mean, I, you think about it. When, when I first started the Alpha Market Letter, I would, read, I would drive 100 miles on Tuesday to get the Washington version of Auto Trader <laughs> before it got to Oregon, right? Because that was all there was. True. And, and, that, and you'd flip through Auto Trader and you'd look at it and you'd turn it upside down. And you, I mean, you'd, you'd do all these things, but that was all there was. That and the nickel ads. Of the online auctions, do you have a favorite? First of all, Bring a Trailer has set a standard. So they they have a way of of formalizing an auction that that is has become the standard. Just like our auction reports in the back of the magazine, they've been the same for almost 35 years. So so they're kind of the standard for writing about auctions in a magazine. Agreed. I like auction sites that will send me notifications when I say I'm looking for something. Bring a Trailer does that well. eBay does that well, but eBay uh, is kind of a cesspool. It's a place to buy a car you know, because they don't have any verification. They don't have any user comments. Uh, a lot of dealers use eBay as a place to flog their merch. So, so when I bought my Alpha on eBay, I ran a Carfax, and the Carfax for 91 Alpha came up with all these different locations for the car than what the owner said. And so I called him and he was a subscriber and he said, oh, I always put the wrong VIN number in my ad. So if people look my car up, they can't find out where it really is. That's that's a little sketchy. That's more than a little sketchy. That's absolutely sketchy. Um, do you think online buyers and sellers have become more sophisticated? Well, there's no question. Think about it 10 or 15 years ago, you would see an ad in Hemmings and you'd call them and they'd mail you four pictures that would take two weeks to get there. True. So now with all the, with the 200 photos and I'm a real fan of the user comments and people call them trolls on auction sites because you can sift through them and throw out the idiots and the nerds. Uh, but I bought a, a 71 V12 Jaguar Coupe uh, on uh, Bring a Trailer about two years ago. And I don't know anything about those cars. I just let the trolls pick it to pieces and just read every comment and every response. And all the experts with all of their questions taught me what to look for on that car. I, I can't agree more. Um, I'm a big fan of reading through all the comments on bring a trailer i find that i learned stuff that i didn't even know on cars i thought i knew a lot about so uh very handy there's always somebody out there who knows more than you do true and really brett think about it what, what the trolls are like is like when you and i saw each other i think it was in scottsdale last time at the uh at drew's auction russo and steel mm -hmm. i did a facetime with you i think yes sir and so i but when you and I stood around that Alpha Julius Super and talked about it, that was, and other people who knew the car came over and talked to us about it, that's no different than the trolls gathering at an online auction. 
the comments on the online auction a lot of times will help you notice things that you didn't see even when you looked through the pictures. I think that the commenters there are very good at picking out the minutiae and pointing out what's good and bad. And so that's why if I were being a, a coach to other online auction sites, I would tell them to encourage that kind of interaction because now you've got a dialogue going on. What is value in use and why is it so important when choosing a car? That's a really good question, Brett. Each person has their own answer to that question. If you're a Concour person, then value in use means you have a car that will get you into the Concour that you want to show the car at. For me, I'm a, I like, love to go on tours, so I need a car that I can go a thousand miles in reliably and that it's comfortable. And I, I've started uh, some of my newer old cars. I get them now with air conditioning because our summers are getting hotter and I just want to have air conditioning in my car when I drive. So if, if I, I need a car that I'm comfortable in for my use, which is touring. As we age, there's something called lifestyle creep. You become accustomed to a certain comfort and you don't want to do without it. So I absolutely understand looking for cars that have AC in them for longer trips, especially summer trips. To value and use, and I think you've just answered this, what am I going to do with it? Like you said, it changes with each person, depending upon what you want to do with the car. What I've started doing with my old Corvettes is I use them as daily drivers. I want the top to be able to go up. I don't demand that they be waterproof because that's a pipe dream on a first or second gen Corvette. It doesn't work that way. But I want it to get where I'm going. I want it to be reliable. And on those cars, there's enough uh, cargo space in them that you can throw some junk in them and take it with you. So, Brad, all I would say about that, though, I think that the role of a classic car as a daily driver is rapidly diminishing because uh, an old car is so unsafe and ill-suited to modern two-ton raised pickup trucks and distracted driving. Part of the reason I think tours are becoming more popular is because you get to be with 30 or 40 other old cars on back roads. I, I just find driving my old cars in city traffic to be a kind of terrifying experience. <laughs> it, it is. I'm not Truth. going to disagree with you. And when I get out of one of the Corvettes and I get my F-150, I think, oh, yeah, this really is nice. <laughs> yeah. I have I have power windows and locks and AC and a power seat and a decent stereo. And, yeah, I... I recognize that. I'm just being stubborn. I figure I only got so much time left on the planet. Uh, I want to try and squeeze in as much time in those cars as I can, but not always very practical. <laughs> I totally agree with you. What effect do you think social media has had on car shows and, and auctions? I think, Brett, that it's breathtaking. Now, look at look what Drive to Survive has done for Formula One. We all grew up with Formula One being this European thing that never seemed to be able to take hold in the U.S. Mm -hmm. And now you get this Netflix hit series. And, and not only do you get Drive to Survive, the series, but you get guys like Lewis Hamilton who are really active on social media. So, so you be, have an awareness that you never had. I mean, Juan Manuel, Juan Manuel Fangio did not have an Instagram account. No, he didn't. And so we would look at pictures of him or see something in the magazine, but that was it. So social media, every time I pop open my Facebook or Instagram account, I see some event going on that I never would have known about otherwise. It, it seems like every morning there's a cars and coffee somewhere. 
somebody in a bunch of 911s is going somewhere. Sure. Some you know, Corvette group is going somewhere. And we never knew about those things before. Every now and then I take a minute and I think back to how did we look up all this stuff before? How did we know what was going on and where it was going to be and when it was going to be prior to social media? And it's uh, it's astonishing how much more connected you feel to everything courtesy of social media. So uh, I absolutely agree with you on that, too. Uh, Sports Car Market sponsors an annual rally called the SCM 1000. What makes this event so special and so different from other rallies? Well, Brett, you know, as a writer for Sports Car Market and a valued member of it, think of the pages of Sports Car Market coming to life. We have we we stick to seventy four and earlier cars because that's kind of when they before they had big bumpers and a lot of emission controls. So you get forty five to fifty cars with people who are SCM members. So they're interesting people who are excited about being on a trip with other people. We also have docents, so we have park rangers at different places we stop to educate you about where the area you're going through, and we have seminars every night where we have experts in the field, where we have a question and answer, because you've got 90 people here who are, are are hardcore car people, and they just want to talk to other people. I mean, one of the questions we're going to ask this uh, this summer in June, we've got some Porsche experts. We're going to say, okay, you're built, you've got a 911 and you're going to do a build. Should you do an outlaw? Should you backdate it? Should you front date it? You know, what spec should you build it to for the most money or the most fun? Kind of depends on what version of a 911 person you are. <laughs> You'd like to hear the answer, wouldn't you? I'd love to hear the answer. I'd, <laughs> I'd love to hear all of the answers around that. <laughs> Tell it to me now. <laughs> I'm sure you could feel uh, fill a, uh, a pretty decent-sized book with the commentary out of that. You know, the style of sports car market is to involve our readers and to ask interesting questions. And that's what the tour does. It involves, so it's not just a 1,000 miles. I mean, it's, it's 250 miles a day, good roads, but every night there's a social gathering and people kind of come together. And that, to me, is what sets this event apart. How much time do you spend picking out the route and where where the stops will be? I'm sure you've got to spend a good chunk of time before the rally doing that. Well, we have an executive director of the tour, Sue Councilman, who puts all the pieces together. And then we have a route master. And this year it's Fred Russell who also manages uh, John Shirley's collection. And so, and it's, it's, we're going out in and out of Spokane. We always do hub and spoke. So you stay at one hotel for five nights. And so each day you do a 250 mile loop, a different loop each day, but you only have to unpack once. Oh, that's brilliant. Nice. No, it's a, it's really a big deal as opposed to what we call a point to point where every night you're checking out and checking in. I've done a lot of those too. I'm just, as you talked about, uh, you didn't say the word age creep, but it was something like that. No, it's lifestyle creep. Yeah. Life, yeah as I just, I don't want to do that anymore. I want to check in. I want to drive during the day, come back to the same hotel. My stuff's already unpacked. That's a great idea. And I think all of us, as we age, lifestyle creep is, is a really legitimate thing. You find that you want a certain level of comfort and you want to put up with minimal BS. It's just different. You know, it's, it's, uh, I drove in the 1992 Mille Amelia in a 1947 Seattle with a 750 CC. <laughs> oh, Jesus. Wow. So a thousand miles in two and a half days in a cycle fendered car with no top, no doors, pouring rain, 
Uh, I would, I, I'm unbelievably happy that I got to do it. Oh, yeah. But I would probably die 30 minutes out if I tried to do it. <laughs> yeah, I believe it. Now, it's the, the final question that we ask everybody and the one I've been dying to ask you for years. What's the dumbest thing you've ever done in a car? Well, I was, uh, my stepfather was helping me pull the motor in my bug eye Sprite. And we had a cable come along to pull it. And we didn't know where to hang it, so he drove a, uh, a nail into a beam in the garage and hung the cable <laughs> come along off the nail. Oh, my God. <laughs> and he yanked it up off the ground, the engine up, and said, will you crawl underneath it and make sure everything's loose? Oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there's a screw loose. <laughs> uh, I'm guessing you look back on that and you just shudder. <laughs> well... I'm able to look back on it. <laughs> uh, I still remember him driving the nail into the beam and, and thinking, you know, that doesn't look all that safe. <laughs> <laughs> Gee, really? <laughs> that nail came from Western Auto. Yeah, it it was meant for engines. <laughs> oh. Jesus. I, mean, I could have been called Flathead. <laughs> uh thank god you never had to find out we've been speaking with the estimable keith martin keith real quick uh run down the social media for sports car market and for you well for all your listeners we've got a special deal if you go to sportscarmarket.com slash save you'll get a special deal on sports car market sportscarmarket.com slash save uh, you'll find us on Facebook under Keith Martin, on Instagram under Keith Martin SCM. And then we have a weekly newsletter that's free that you can sign up for. That's a lot of inside information to it. So there are a lot of ways that uh, we can get involved in your life and help you become a better collector. Keith, thank you so very much. I'm sorry, sir. It's been too long. We should have had you on far before this, but thanks for being with us. I appreciate it. Well, Brett, thank you for the good work you do for us. It really means a lot to me. Uh, I'll be doing uh, some more of that Thursday as Meekum <laughs> brings their show to Kansas City. Very nice working with the both of you. Thank you so much for spending time with Driven Radio. We love what we do, and we wouldn't be able to do it without the support of our listeners. You can find us online at DrivenRadioShow.com. Follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Driven Radio Show, and on LinkedIn as Driven Radio Show Podcast. You can find us listen anywhere fine podcasts are heard i am brett hatfield for mark l groves yep thank you for listening and we'll see you next time on driven radio mm-hmm.